of his word as you are able. And uh, look forward to looking at his word, into his word together. Last week we started a series that we'll be in for a number of weeks, probably really more a number of months, as we would look at the attributes of God and coming from kind of a theme from uh, A.W. Tozer's book, Knowledge of the Holy, in which he talks about uh, a low view of God versus a high view of God. A high view of God is one in which we see him for who he is, and, and our vision is ever-changing, ever-increasing as we are become more and more captivated by him. When we have a high view of God, we have uh, desperation for God, hunger for God, fervency in prayer, worship becomes passionate because we gain a greater revelation, a greater sense of who he is, of his wonder, of his majesty, of his glory. A low view kind of brings God down to our level. It, it may interpret it according, interpret him according to how we see him, and it brings kind of this dryness, this lack of fervency, this stagnancy, this loss of wonder and majesty. There really isn't much fervor and power that comes. The spirit-filled life flows out of a high view of God. And so we will be looking at these attributes of God to revisit. For, for some, it may be the first time you're visiting these. For others, it may be revisiting them again, that we would have a, a vision from Scripture of who God is. And so this morning, as we would move into the series more, I want us to come to a place where at the beginning of this time, the beginning of the series, we wrestle with, are we willing to look again at who God is? In 2009, 2010, God was doing a work in my life, a work that led to me being filled with the Spirit that I hadn't been before, but God was doing a work of reorienting, of reshaping everything I'd known. I grew up in the church. I became a, a believer in Jesus. I received Jesus as my Savior when I was six years old. And so I was around church a lot. I was around God. Our family was a Christian family. We grew up learning and serving the Lord. I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. I was a pastor and so I had a vision of God, but in 2009 and 2010, God began to wreck that vision of what I had always held of him to give me a fuller and more adequate vision of who he was that allowed the Spirit to do a new work in my life. And in one of the times of prayer where I was waiting on the Lord, being with him, time in his word, but time just waiting on God in prayer, he gave me a vision. And that vision was of everything that I had built up. And a wrecking ball from a crane came and just came and just obliterated it all. Knocked everything down to the foundation. Everything that had been built up just got knocked down completely. And I was like, whoa, whoa, God, what is this? And he said, I'm knocking everything down in order to rebuild it. And that was, at the moment, it was a little unsettling. Everything that I've held on to, everything that I've known, you're going to knock it all down? You're going to knock it all down? But in him knocking it down and rebuilding it, 
there were some times where I was like, oh, this is kind of disorienting. I'm not quite sure what to do with all of this. But as he knocked it down and rebuilt it, I gained a higher view of God than I had before. I gained a fuller understanding of who he was, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I gained a greater love and an awe. I gained a greater awareness of the Spirit's presence in my life and the Spirit's work in my life. I gained a greater ability to walk in the authority and the power of Jesus because he knocked it down in order that I might see more fully who he was. And so as we move in this series of lifting up our low view of God, I want us to consider this question. If you have sermon notes in your bulletin, if you're a note taker, it's the first little line at the top beyond the screen here, I, I want you to ask this question of us. Are you willing to look again at your view of God? Now, some of you are in the midst right now of your view of God is being shaped and formed. You may be newer in your faith, or you may be in a place where God is doing some work in your life, and he's in the midst of rebuild, or he's just maybe in the first time building this up. He's helping you to understand who he is as you study the scripture, to spend time in prayer, as you live life in community with other believers, as you seek to be on mission with him. He's bringing to you an understanding and a view of who he is. And so for, for those of you in that place, I believe your answer is already, yeah, I'm, I'm willing. That's what you're doing. I want you to shape my view. I want you to give me a high view of who you are. There may be others of you who may be in that place that I was back in 2009 and 2010, and you're saying, oh, I don't know what God is doing right now. I feel like he's wrecking some things in my life. Maybe the way the world is right now is causing you to feel like I'm on shaky, uncertain ground, and you feel like things are falling apart. Maybe this is a time where God is in the midst of wrecking your view of him. There may be others of you who have said, I have been very strong and very secure in what I believe about God and who he is. I don't need God to wreck my vision of him because I've got it figured out. If that is you, let me ask the question, are you willing to offer your view of God back to him and say, I'm willing to look again at how I view you. See, we, we may need to be in those places. And, and I believe as we're looking in this series that God wants to do a work in us that may bring us to a place where some things get knocked down in order to be rebuilt. And I would suggest to you that this is both normal and necessary. This past week, you may notice I got a little bit of a, my voice isn't quite normal. I was in Florida for four days, and I think uh, coming back, my body has said, what are you doing coming back to the cold? It was like 85 every day. Now, 
we were at a conference. I was with a number of uh, Western PA pastors at this conference. So we were inside a lot, but you know, you're coming out and you're like, oh man, the sun is shining. And you're like, this is beautiful. But at this conference that, that we were at, there would be these breakout workshops. And uh, one that I went to was on the necessary changes that are going on in the church today. And in the midst of it, there was this concept that was shared that says that Christian psychologists, Christian sociologists, those who have studied maturation in faith have said that every adult, if they are going to fully mature in their faith, will go through at least two significant wrecking of your faith, wrecking of your view of God tearing it down in order that it would be built back up again. Now, some of you are going, oh, that doesn't sound good. I don't like that. But just think of it this way. If God is beyond our understanding, if he is limitless, if he is all-present, all-powerful, all-knowing, if he has always existed and always will, if he is completely sustainable in and of himself, if he is unchanging, is it possible that we would be able to get to a place where we're like, oh, yeah, I get him? Or would we get to the place where we'd be like, you know what? There's some new stuff that I have to come to understand about him. And in order to do that, it may mean that i got to lay some stuff down and he's got to knock some stuff down to give me a fuller view of who he is. That sounds scary, but let me tell you, it is good. And at the beginning of the series, really, to be able to come to it and say, Lord... We're going to look at the attributes of who you are. If I come to the attributes of who you are and I say, oh, yeah, I know that one. Oh, and I know that one. Yeah, I heard that one. Yeah, I could tell you all the scriptures about that one and that one and that one and that one. Yeah, 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 good. Is there any possibility you're going to be changed? No. We have to come to this, I believe, and say, Lord, I may have heard this before, but God, if you are that big and that immense... (laughs) There's going to be some new things that I'm going to come to understand. And it may not fit the box that I already have you in right now. And you may need to come with your wrecking ball and knock it down so that it can be built back up. And I can see you for who you are more fully. Because you are that wonderful. You are that majestic. You are that awesome. You are that big. You are that holy. That I may need to get some stuff torn down to be able to fully see who you are. And so the question, are you willing to look again at your view of God, is the question. This morning we want to look at what happens if we don't that will lead us to how we go about this. So there's two negative outcomes, I believe, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that we can see that will happen or that are one is a trap and one is a hindrance. 
if we do not come to the place where we say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to look again at my view of you. So let's look first at the trap. The trap that we can fall into is idolatry. The trap is idolatry. In verses 4 through 7, I'll read those again. It says, for one says, and, and just to back up one second, the issue at hand really is divisions in the church in Corinth. They've come as a result of kind of a spiritual infancy that the believers in Corinth never moved out of. We'll look at it in a moment, but they were, instead of eating spiritual food, they were still drinking spiritual milk. They were still on the elementary teachings. They had not moved past. Their their view of God was still pretty small. And because of that, we'll see there were some worldly actions, sinful actions, worldly behavior, but there was also this idea of idolatry that had developed amongst them. And so the idolatry begins in verse 4. It says, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, Paul says, Aren't you mere men and women? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things go grow. See, the Corinthians were arguing, there was this division that were that was developing, they were arguing over who they should be following. Should we follow Paul? And I, yeah, I'm in the Paul camp. And Apollos had come after Paul to be able to teach them further. And so there are others that are like, they, they may not have known Paul that well. They came later and they're like, oh yeah, Apollos, he's the guy. So you got this division going on. You have those who are saying, hey, I'm a Paul follower. Others in the church are saying, I'm an Apollos follower. And Paul is saying, Who cares? Because I and Apollos, all we were are seed planters and seed waterers. The one who really counts is God. Because God makes it grow. See, they had made the messenger the object of their worship instead of God who the messengers were speaking about. They had become worshipers of men instead of worshipers of God. Their view of God had become so low because they had equated it with, oh, it's Paul and his message, or it's Apollos and his message. And Paul's trying to break them out of this mold, trying to knock down their view and say, listen, it's neither of us, it's God. It's Jesus. Which brings us to this concept of idolatry, that when we are unwilling to look again at our view of God, we can easily fall into the trap of idolatry. Often it's subtle. Sometimes it's even good intention. But we fall in love with our view of God. Just consider that for a moment. 
Are you in love with Jesus? Or are you in love with your view of him? Oftentimes, when this happens, we dig into and say we have to hold on to the truth. And the truth is what ends up being worshipped, not the one who is truth. We end up defending our belief, and it begins to take our worship and affection instead of God himself. Now, this can be disorienting. This can even bring us to places where we feel like we're in darkness. If we begin to understand, you know what? I am in love more with my idea of God than I actually am of God. I am in love more with truth than I actually am with the one who is truth. Richard Rohr, when he talks about this idea of the feelings of darkness that come when you kind of begin to make it about the truth or about your view of him, he says this about it, about this feeling of darkness. He says, you don't move to the next level of faith without going through a necessary period of darkness. This might be another way to say without the disorienting feeling of having your view of God knocked down. He says, when you've never had that in your background, and it's all about building this coherent, consistent system where you actually love your understanding of faith. This is not the love of God anymore. This is an idol of certitude. You know what we in the evangelical world are terrible at? Ambiguity and mystery. We always have to, we have this tendency as evangelicals to have to have an answer for every single thing. And to double down when our answer gets challenged and it has some holes in it. You know, it's okay to be able to be like, you know what? Some of this doesn't quite hold water. There's some holes in some of this. There are some things that are ambiguous. There's some things that are mysterious that I don't fully get. Rather than, I got it all figured out. I know for certain. The minute we know everything for certain is the minute we are loving our idea of truth and our view of God rather than God himself. Because if you think you've got God figured out, you have just entered into the world of idolatry, arrogance, and pride. He's the God who says, my ways are higher than your ways. So how in the world can we say, I got it all figured out? But we love certitude. Certitude makes us feel safe. I've got this figured out. Rather than, you know what, there's just some things that are bigger than me. There are some things that my view of God can't contain. And I'm okay with that. This is risky stuff, it may feel like. But when it comes to the place where we feel like, you know what, I have to... 
I have to defend? If some of the things that I'm saying may make you be like, ah, you're threatening me, you're backing me into a corner where you feel like I need to fight to protect the truth, may even make you mad. (laughs) You know what all those feelings are? Those are natural reactions to when our idols are threatened. When I have to fight to defend, when I get mad when somebody challenges me, in my view, when I get anxious over, oh no, what's this all going to mean? It means we're holding on to something that was never meant to hold us. Instead of the one who was meant to hold us, we were the one we run into his arms. When our idols are threatened, is when we're disoriented. And God wants to knock some of that down, I believe. In order that he can rebuild it. But we have to be willing to look again at our view of God. Or else we can easily fall into the trap of idolatry. The second trap that we can, or the second uh, area of struggle, if we don't come to that place of willingness to look again at our view of God, is a hindrance, and that hindrance is stagnancy. Verses 1 through 3, he says again, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? said earlier that the spiritual infancy was a serious issue for the Corinthians. They were still on the basic teachings when they should have been way, way, way further. The result of this was they had not really been transformed too much. There were divisions in the church, and if any place, the church should be a place of unity, not division. They were like worldly people not spiritual people. Paul said, I can't even address you as spiritual because you're worldly. There's jealousy among you. There's division among you. And so Paul is saying, because you are still on these spiritual milk, because you haven't moved past, there hasn't been any transformation. Or there hasn't been much transformation. that same kind of lack of spiritual transformation and kind of an infantile view of God will not produce much wonder of God, will not produce much awe of God, will not produce much worship and hunger for God, will not produce much desperation for God because when we have a small view of God, we aren't captivated by him. And we worship what we are captivated by. Hear that again. We worship what we are captivated by. Last week, Ish and I went to Disney. Now, some of you are saying, wait a second. Or two weeks ago. Some of you are saying, wait, you were in Orlando for a conference, and then 
if you're hearing right, the week before I was in Orlando again. So, yes, the last two weeks I have been in Florida twice, two separate trips. But Ish and I were at the Magic Kingdom. And I have to say that the Magic Kingdom as an adult didn't really live up to my expectations from when I was a kid. So, so I've been to the Magic Kingdom now three times in my life. Once when I was like eight or nine. I forget exactly how old. My parents took all of us. And I remember we were, we were flying in the plane. And somehow then there was a table in the front of the plane. And we had, you know, three of us on one side of the table and three on, or two on the other. Our family of five. It was like, I, I don't know how that doesn't happen anymore. Tables and planes. That's just, that's how long ago that was. So we went to the Magic Kingdom, and it was awesome. Riding Space Mountain and Thunder Mountain and Pirates of the Caribbean, and it's a small world after all. Like, I was like, my, my memories of these things was like, oh, my goodness, this is incredible. It's an eight- or nine-year-old. And then, so we have students going to the Life Conference and it's going to be in Orlando again. But when I went in 1995, it was where I was out of it. I was called into ministry. But one of the things at the end of the conference, we stayed an extra day, and we were able to go to the Magic Kingdom. And so as a 17-year-old, I went to the Magic Kingdom, and it was kind of like, yeah. But it was still fun because we had all of our youth group friends and we were able just to go and we had just like free reign of the park. We just had to check back once in a while. And so it was a ton of fun because we were with friends. Magic Kingdom, that was just kind of like the vehicle to like hang out with friends. And so then I go two weeks ago at 43 and it's like, yeah. Why? My vision had, was not able, the expectations and the fulfillment of it weren't able to captivate my vision anymore. And you know, it really struck me how this played out when I was like, we got to go on It's a Small World. Because that was like iconic Disney. And it was like one of those things that stuck in my mind. You know, you're riding this boat and there's all these little kids, you know, these... You know, and it's a small world after all, playing over and over and over and over and over. And we're going through it, and it's like, wow, this is kind of lame. But I'm listening to the song. And this is like a week after Russia invades Ukraine. And my memory of the song, and this is what shocked me. My memory of the song was, it's a world of laughter, a world of joy, happy, happy, happy. Because as an eight or nine-year-old, my vision of the world was, everybody in the world just having a grand time. And I'm going through, riding this boat, it's a small world after all. And I'm thinking, it's a world of laughter, a world of joy, da, 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 da. not for the kids in Ukraine right now. I was like, man, Disney is way off. They're painting this horrible picture. So I looked up the lyrics. And you know what? That's not the lyrics at all. 
The lyrics are, it's a world of laughter, a world of tears. It's a world of hopes and a world of fears. There's so much we share that it's time we're aware it's a small world after all. But that's a whole different picture than, oh, life is wonderful. But you know what? My vision as an eight-year-old said, life is great for everybody because as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, life is great for me. But now I'm an adult and I see the world. I have a bigger view of the world. And I'm like, that view doesn't work anymore. Because there are places in the world that are an absolute mess. And there are children who are in bomb shelters. And there are children who are dying. That's not the world. And there are children in our own community who are dealing with poverty and abandonment and all kinds of stuff. And it's like, not every kid gets the, it's a small world after all, laughter, hope, cheer, joy. All of a sudden, I had this like crisis for a moment. That really got rectified when I began to understand, you know what? That wasn't the full message. But this is what happens when when we have a small view of God. We we just kind of see what we always have known, and yet he's out here. And the world that he speaks to is way bigger than my little view. And it needs to be knocked down. So he can rebuild it. You see, when when my vision of God is as an eight or nine year old, awe and wonder, hunger and desperation to know that God, there's just not much that captivates you. Not because that wasn't right, but because I've moved. If I'm 43 and still living on an eight-year-old vision, that's spiritual milk, not spiritual food. And if I'm still living on this view, man, it needs to get knocked down so that it can be rebuilt, so that it's the, the view of him that a 43-year-old me who's walked with God since I was six would be able to, to take. That's bigger than even that. Do you see why it needs, in the course of an adult life, it needs to get knocked down a couple times? So let me try to wrap it up and explain it this way. Because there's probably still some of you are like, eh, I'm not quite sure. Are you saying that everything was wrong? I'm not saying everything was wrong. So let me try to explain it one last time this way. We live in the Milky Way galaxy. The closest galaxy to the Milky Way is the Andromeda galaxy. It's 2.5 million light years from Earth. And it's the most distant object that is visible with the naked eye if you have a really dark sky. So here, up here, let's see. I don't even know if that's going to work battery must be dying. All right. So you see up in kind of the upper sort of right-hand quadrant, there's a bright, brighter spot. This is a picture taken on a really dark sky night 
of the Andromeda galaxy with the naked eye. Now, if you look at that and you say, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Now, if you're eight or nine years old or you're just learning about the night sky, it's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. There's some wonder and some awe that gets developed there. You know, God made this. Now, after a while, that, that just doesn't do it for you anymore. And so here is the Andromeda galaxy with a telescope, an eight-inch telescope at a 40-time magnification. You start to see it a little bit more. Your vision for it starts to grow a little bit more, and you're like, oh, wow, that's pretty big. That, that's pretty cool. There begins to be some curiosity and some wonder. You're like, wow, there's more out there, way out there. The God who breathed the stars into existence and spoke these things and knows them all by name, the scripture says. Now you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's amazing. That the Milky Way galaxy isn't the only galaxy, that there's the Andromeda galaxy. And after a while, you can ruminate on that and be like, yeah, wow, God, you're great. But after a while, I'd be like, okay, that's cool. You need something else. And so here is a 2012 image from NASA's Galaxy Evolution Explorer telescope of the Andromeda galaxy. Filled with stars. Solar systems within those gal- then that galaxy. Now, all of a sudden, you start to be like, whoa. Your view of it begins to be more captivated. More questions arise. You begin to wonder, what is, what is at the center of all of that? What would happen if we got even closer? You, you begin to have wonder and awe developed more and more. So here's the thing. When, we had, when you had this view, with the naked eye, was there anything wrong of your view? No. You were able to stand in awe and wonder based on what you saw and what you knew. Now, did anything change so much when you had this view? No. Is there anything wrong with that view? No. Now, to get here, you had to have your view expanded. It's still the same Andromeda galaxy as back there. Only your view of it has increased to this and now to this. And this is the way it is with our view of God. Because there may be some of you who are thinking, what are you saying? That I have things wrong. Well, there might be some things that are just like, you know what? The more I see it, that probably wasn't the best understanding. I need to uh, reconsider it. Does that mean God has changed? Absolutely not. He is immutable is a theological word, which means he is unchanging. God does not change. But what happens is we change. And if we are really going through this process of transformation, we are going to have these moments where we're going to go, you know what? He's bigger than I thought. You know what? His unchanging nature means more than what I understood it to mean. 
The fact that he's all-powerful, the fact that he's sovereign, the fact that he's holy, the fact that he's love and mercy, you know what? It means more to me now as I understand more of who he is. As my vision increases, now I understand what I thought was just that really is this. And the result is increased awe, increased wonder, increased worship, increased hunger, increased desperation in prayer. The more we get to know him as our view of him is lifted from low to high. So this morning, I just come back to that one simple question. Are you willing to look again at your view of God? Are you willing to say, you know what, God? Everything that I've known of you, I'm willing to offer it to you and say, you're, you're free to knock it all down. in order that you might build it up, but build it up bigger. Even if that means I'm a little disoriented for a while, because what I thought I knew maybe isn't quite all that I knew, that can be disorienting, and sometimes we just love that feeling of certitude. We love that feeling of, in the midst of a world that's falling apart, at least I know this. That's the draw. At least I know this. But it's in those moments where we say, God, I offer who I view you to be as back to you and say, God, whatever you want to do with it, knock it down. If you want to. Or just build it higher. And so, just simply ask that question. Are you willing to look again at your view of God? I want to just take a moment as the worship team would come to lead us in prayer to spend a moment in prayer. And if you're willing, say, just to spend some time with him and say, yeah, God, we want to see more of you. I want to see more of you. I want to see more of you as you are. And I give you permission. I'm willing for you to do whatever it takes. And, And that's a risky prayer sometimes. I'm willing for you to do whatever it takes to help me see you more for who you are, to to lift my view of you higher. Because I trust that on the other side, it will be good. So take a moment, just wrestle it out with the Lord. And and if you're still like, I don't know about this, just wrestle those things out. He can take it. Talk it through with him. And that will lead us in prayer, and the worship team will close us in in a closing song this morning. Let's pray.